0: Well, good morning. Well, today is a a wonderful day today. We are, this is a commissioning service for Darren. And uh, this was Darren's first week. Let's give him a hand. He started on Thursday. So he's only had Thursday and Friday. So he hasn't solved any problems. He's just right now trying to figure out what the problems are. But by next week... Every problem we've ever had will be solved. Um, that's, that's what I keep telling myself, and so, and so for all of us, we're just so blessed. We are so thankful. So today's going to be a day that we're, we're kind of going to dedicate uh, Darren, and we're going to be praying for him and commissioning him uh, to this position that God has called him to. And I would just say it is an incredible privilege to be a leader in church. And um, First uh, Timothy chapter three verse one says, "If anybody aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work that he desires, and that is true certainly of pastors, and actually all elders. And I would say that is true of actually every single uh, leader in a church, that, that the role that people play as leaders in the body of Christ is significant. And this is something that really, um, Jesus is our ultimate leader. And so um, everybody who leads, everybody whatever we do, uh, we do under Christ our chief shepherd. And so this morning is a, uh, certainly a, a special day as we think about that. Now, um, one of the things that we're going to be doing is at the end of the sermon, we're going to call Darren up, and we're, as a leadership, we're going to lay hands on him. And that's actually something that we see in the New Testament, where when people were going to go into ministry and do things in ministry, um, people would lay hands on them and pray. And ultimately, it is God who selects leaders. And we try to discern that will, and we, but when we appoint and select a leader, we, in a sense, do that on God's behalf. But the power to do those things really does not rest with us. Um, that rests with God. He selects his leaders, but we participate in that. So it's interesting, in Acts chapter six, there, there's this problem happened in the church, and there was, the church was organizing to feed widows. And in that, it wasn't happening the way it should. And so people went to the leaders of the church, the elders and the apostles, and they said, hey, we're having a problem here. You guys need to solve this. And the leader said, no, we are supposed to pray and preach the word, so we're not going to solve that logistical detail, but gather up people within the church find people who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, people who demonstrate God's power and strength in their life, and appoint them to solve that problem. So it's like in the whole Bible, we see that leaders have an important role, but so does everybody in the body of Christ. You wanna know what they did after they selected those people? Um, In Acts chapter six, it says, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. That's dedicating them to, to be servants of God and what they did. Paul and Barnabas, Acts chapter 13, um, they, the, the church and the leaders prayed and it said that the Holy Spirit had set them aside for a work of ministry. And in Acts thirteen three, it says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You know, um, when Paul was traveling around and he was selecting leaders and appointing elders in churches, all the different churches that he went, It says that in Acts 14, 23, talking about the elders in Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, it says that when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so they laid hands on them and they prayed and they fasted. And this is what Paul tells Timothy when he's giving him instructions on selecting leaders in uh, 1 Timothy 5, 22. He says, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. So this idea of laying on of hands is this idea of commissioning somebody to ministry and Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5:22 he says don't do that in a hurry don't do that carelessly and it says nor take part in the sins of others keep yourself pure and, and in, in a real sense, when, when leaders and when churches appoint people to ministry, that's something that they need to do very carefully. They need to look at what God says about who leaders need to be, because when you appoint a leader and then they fall away or they sin against people, um, everybody who had a hand in appointing them is responsible for putting those people in leadership. And so, leaders are people that we appoint carefully as God directs us, and also leaders we want to care for. We want to encourage them. We want to do the things that we need to do to help them stay faithful. So, leaders are encouraging us in providing accountability, and as a body of Christ, we are praying for and holding our leaders accountable to be the people that God calls them to be. And so that's, that's what we're doing today. We are laying hands on Darren, and we're all super excited about it and thankful for it. Um, you know, um, it's, uh, this, this is just a, an amazing thing, and, and leaders are certainly significant and very important. And as we think about this, this is a picture of, that somebody drew in the 1800s, I think, of the Apostle Paul, and he's in prison. And he is writing First and 2 Timothy and Titus. And so Paul, from prison, writes these letters, and he writes them to pastors, he writes them to Timothy. And so if we're going to think about who has God called leaders to be, what are the marks of a good servant of Christ? Paul's the one we should ask. And Paul writes 1 Timothy, and he writes Titus. And then he writes 2 Timothy. And at the end of Paul's life, as he's writing 2 Timothy, he just says to to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I mean, this is a battle-worn person who knows what's significant, who knows what's important, and who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to give instructions on who leaders should be. And uh, he he talks about how in the future there is laid up for him the crown of righteousness, which God will give not only to him but to all who love his appearing. One of the amazing things about the apostle Paul is when he writes Second Timothy, and we're going to be looking at First Timothy, but when he writes Second Timothy, he's actually about to be executed. And he has lived his whole life. He has sacrificed himself for believers. And as he looks at his execution, he looks forward to that day. And he just says, "Um, God is going to rescue me. He looks at his execu- execution as God rescuing him and finally taking him to heaven where he's going to be with the Lord and receive his, his reward. And so that's what allows us to live a faithful life is to see this life for what it is, to be living for heaven. And if there was ever a person that we could take instruction and guidance from, it's the Apostle Paul who lived it. It's the Apostle Paul who, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write exactly what God wanted him to write. So um, just as we think about this, this is uh, James chapter 3, verse 1. So this is uh, Jesus' brother writes this. And he just says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brethren, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so um, we're we're hiring Darren to be one of our leaders, and he's going to be teaching, and he's going to be organizing and providing leadership. And that's something we should be mindful of, that, that we need to be praying for him, and this is something he needs to be mindful of, that as a teacher, you incur a stricter judgment. And it's because you know what God says, so you're accountable to do it. And if you're telling other people to obey God, you certainly need to make sure that you are obeying God. So that's, this is a high calling. We should appreciate uh, people. In fact, the Bible does tell us what we sh- how we should think about leaders. So that's a warning for Darren. But this is what God calls the body of Christ to in relation to leaders. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Um, God calls us as a body of Christ to love and appreciate our leaders because we understand the significance of the job that God has given them. And that word for respect um, actually has the idea behind it of to know. It's to know somebody, to understand what God's called them to do. And so this morning, while this will be a charge for Darren, this is important for us to think about and appreciate and understand what God has called leaders to do. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You know, Darren is going to stand before God and he will be accountable for his leadership. He will be accountable both for what he does and also what he does not do. And sometimes leaders neglect the things that God has called them to. And when they neglect that, they will be accountable for it. If the things that they're supposed to do, they don't do the way God has called them to do it, they will be accountable for that. And and often we fail to understand the significant accountability and spiritual weight that rests on the shoulders of people in spiritual leadership. It goes on and it says this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Now, if you're a parent, um, you've provided leadership in your family, and uh, sometimes do kids make it really hard on parents to be leaders? They don't appreciate them, they rebel against them. It's like, you think about this, you got parents, their whole purpose is to love their kids, provide for their kids, train their kids, do things that will help their kids be blessed in their life. And often there's kids that don't appreciate that, they're rebellious, they make being a parent terrible. I remember when my kids were going to school, I, I thought about school. I hated school, and I hated my teachers. And, uh, and I just thought about how can I help my kids not have that same terrible attitude I have. And I remember when my kids were in kindergarten, you know, we we're getting ready to drop them off at school. I knew what kind of environment they'd be at in school. And so I pulled them to the side, and I said, now this is the amazing thing. When you go to school, you are going to be around people who hate teachers, And it's crazy that any kid would ever hate a teacher or be rebellious or give a teacher a difficult time. Have you ever thought about what a teacher's job is? Teachers go away to school, and they get educated. They put all these things into their life. They're learning, and they are dedicating their lives to helping kids be successful in life and do well in life and learn things so that, so that they can be blessed, so that they can get a good job, that they can have a good life. And could you imagine a person dedicating their life to hate or to help you and then you being mad at them for making you do math or you having a bad attitude toward them? What a terrible thing. It's absolutely crazy. And I was brainwashing my kids. Before they went to school. And I'll never forget, you know, the middle of Jessica's year at school, she comes home and she, I, she probably forgot about this conversation I had with her, but she comes home and she just says to me, you know, Dad, I'll never understand some kids. They don't appreciate their teachers. And uh, I just thought, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> you want to know something? It is in our best interests To pray for, to encourage, and to bless the people who are in our lives as spiritual leaders. That is such a significant thing. And for them to be able to do their job with joy and not with grief, um, that is one of the great callings that God gives us. So let's jump into this list. And um, some of you are scared if you saw the Life Group notes because you know there's six points this morning. But we're going to go really quickly. Maybe. So let me read uh, the passage this morning, First Timothy chapter four, verse one. Now the spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. You know, this is the first thing that we need to see. The first responsibility of a leader is to guard. A good servant of Christ guards. And it's, it's interesting, verse 1, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. You know, people depart from the faith, and one of the jobs of a leader is to guard and to protect. It's interesting, in, um, that's, that's as you read the, the pastoral epistles, uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, it is full of Paul telling Timothy, you need to quiet down false teachers. You need to guard people in the church. In fact, he says this in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrines. And then he goes on just two verses later, and he explains that this guarding really is something that flows out of love. And he just says, The aim of our charge is love, That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And Paul goes on to say that when people wander from love, from a sincere faith, from a clean conscience, that's actually what leads to false teaching. And that is what leads to ignoring and failing to care for the people that God has given us to care for. So that's a first uh, responsibility is people are going to wander away. Leaders need to guard. One of the things that I think about with um, Darren, we were brainstorming as elders about things that we needed to do this year. And one of the things that Darren put on that list is he said, we need to proactively shepherd with courage. Regarding pitfalls for the body of Christ, what are pitfalls that people in our church are going to face and how do we as elders proactively guard them? You know, Satan always wants to distract us and harm us through false teaching and through sinful living. And, and so I, I love that. This is in Darren's heart. This is the job of elders is to be thinking about what are the ways Satan is attacking our body, trying to harm our body. And that can be people in the church who are facing temptations, who are struggling with sin issues in our life. Are the leaders aware? And are they coming alongside to help? And by the way, that is not just the job of leaders. That's actually the job of the entire body of Christ, what are cultural false teaching that we're hearing everywhere? What are the lies that Satan is telling us? And as we, are we as church leaders, are we aware of that? And are we training and teaching people in our church what God says so that as they hear those things, they know, oh, that's not true. That is not what God says. So that is a high calling. That is a challenge. Here's a second one, and we'll see this in verse 6 through 8. Um, it says this, <clears throat> If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, one of the things that you see here is that leaders are to be people who are trained in godliness, that they are disciplining themselves and training themselves for godliness. You know, if you look at Titus chapter um, 2, it says this, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, That's disciplined. It goes on, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, and so train the younger women to be self-controlled. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. When we we look at this, um, a calling for a leader is to be a person. A good servant is self-controlled, disciplined, practiced, focused, on godliness. And um, let's look at the the third thing here that we see is that a good servant of Christ is evangelistic, reaching out, committed to the gospel. Look what it says here. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and we strive. Because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You know, Paul says this, 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 9, he says, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. One of the primary driving things in a leader's life, a Christian leader's life, is salvation. It's that people genuinely know who God is, have a relationship with God. By the way, every leader in the church, like we think in those terms of how do we help people come to know the Lord. Evangelistic, recognizing that we are, God has put us here in Rancho Santa Margarita and his intention is that we reach the people that God has put around us. You know, if you have a job, God provides your job as an opportunity for you to earn money as an opportunity for you to put God's nature and character on display. But your ultimate purpose in your job is to meet people, to pray for them, to be a visual example of what a Christian is, and to explain to them what the gospel is. You know, I was thinking about how often and how many people have never heard the gospel. Um, I had an incredible privilege. One of the things I love about the fact that Michelle has a job, and she didn't have a job when our kids were young. Um, she stayed home, and that was a huge financial struggle for us. Often we didn't know how we were going to make it to the end of the week. But we decided, um, this was a decision for us, we decided that we are going to raise our kids. And actually the purpose was to make sure that we were raising them, training them to know who Jesus is. And we were not going to send our kids off to be babysat by somebody else who would not have their best interests at heart, who would not be taking every opportunity in their life as they grew to share the gospel with them. And so we just said, hey, any earthly sacrifice is worth it. And so that's why we stayed home was evangelism. One of the things that I love about Michelle's job is that it gives us opportunities to get to know people. And I had a a privilege. uh, Her boss, we were good. We were ended up becoming good friends with him. And I was like his. Show and tell device or, or whatever, he would he would call his friends like none of them had met a pastor before. And pe- Michelle travels around, and when people find out that she's married to a pastor, they're always like, "Wait, what?" You seem like such a normal person. Uh, you're, you're actually married to a pastor? That is so weird. And, and I remember this boss of hers would invite all his, he'd invite Michelle and I over, and then he'd invite all his friends, and he would say, hey, Roger, um, can you come over? I, I invited all my friends, and I told him I want him to come meet a pastor. I told him I have a friend that's a pastor and that they should come meet you because you're kind of a normal guy. And so I was like his show-and-tell person. And um, the Lord allowed us through that friendship, when he passed away, um, they asked me to do his funeral. And it was the weirdest thing because um, I'm looking at like hundreds of people here in the United States, and there were, there were many more watching online. And, and as I shared the gospel at his funeral, do you want to know what I realized and what people afterwards that came and talked to me? Um, they came and told me that they had never heard anything like that before. And, and I'm looking around at, at the expression on people's faces, and as I was sharing the gospel and talking about those things, people are looking at me. They have never heard that before. And one of the things that I thought about was how many of these people work with Christians. That they go, they, They've been working with them for 10, 15 years but we're so polite. Think about this. If the only things that your next-door neighbor, if the only thing your next-door neighbor had ever understood about the gospel was what they heard from you, uh, would they know the gospel? Oh yeah, there's Christians and people go to church and 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 if the people that you work with, if you were the only one who ever spoke to them, would they know the gospel? And a good servant of Christ is a person that is committed to the gospel message. And it just says this, the train, the, this saying is trustworthy and full of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. That is hard work because we have set our hope on the living God. See, good servants of Christ have their own priorities set correctly. They understand that the most important thing in their life is is their relationship with the Lord, salvation. And then it's, it goes on, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe? So it starts with a personal relationship with the Lord, but it's a view to the fact that God came to save everybody. And we won't dig, dig into all the theology of this. The Savior of all people, especially believers. I'll make a brief comment. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price for the sins of the world. And anybody, Jesus is the only way of salvation. And anybody who puts in their, their faith in Christ will be saved. So he is a savior of all people, but especially believers. Because unless you put your faith in Christ, you won't be saved. And so Jesus has provided salvation for everyone, but salvation is only applied to people who put their faith in Christ. And that's our job is to proclaim who Jesus is and to live that out. You know, I, I'm reminded of uh, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. He's an atheist who says, um, "Any Christian who doesn't proselytize must hate people." So if you haven't talked to your neighbors, Penn Teller thinks it's because you hate them. Um, I'm not going to weigh in on that, but that's what he thinks. Here's a fourth quality. A good servant of Christ is properly authoritative. (laughs) Nobody likes that Hebrews verse I put up there. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Nobody likes that. I don't want somebody in church telling me what to do. And you think about that as it relates to marriage and also in families as the the leaders that God calls husbands to be and how kids need to follow the leadership of their parents. Um, Look at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.11. He says, command and teach these things. That is an exercise of authority. And by the way, when God puts people in positions of leadership— they should exercise that authority. And so it's the proper authoritative ministry. You know, um, authority in the church is never personal authority. It is a delegated stewardship. Do you know that church leaders have no right to ever tell you what, that you have to do anything? Like, like church leaders are not in charge. They don't walk around and boss people around. A church leader, in and of themselves, has no authority. And sometimes people will go to leaders and they, they take responsibilities that God has given them and they offload those to church leaders. And they say, hey, what should I do, and how should I handle this, and should I take this job, or should I take that job? There is nothing wrong with going to church leaders and getting advice. But church leaders don't get to tell people how to live. But what church leaders are supposed to do is to teach what God says and to call people to obey his authority. And so for a church leader, if, if you move in with somebody that you're not married to, if you're dating somebody or you're engaged and you're, you're sexually active and in our culture, everybody says that's acceptable, church leaders should find that out. They should step into your life. If they love you, if they care about you, they will say what you're doing is wrong and you need to stop. That is not their authority. That is them communicating what God has said. And so church leaders call people authoritatively to obey Christ. And that's why we submit to leaders. Not because church leaders have any authority in and of themselves, not because they're smarter than us, and not because they have a right to tell us what to do, but because church leaders lead on God's behalf. You know, 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about that. It says, I exhort the elders Among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. In other words, being a leader is a great job. You should love it. It's like saying to a parent, being a parent is a great job. You should love it. And when God puts you in a position of authority, you are responsible to use that. And the neglect of that is wrong. But then he goes on and he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Jesus is our chief, chief shepherd. He's the one that's in charge. And we don't domineer over other people or use our authority for our own benefit. Um, that, and by the way, in that calling... We don't capitulate, we don't compromise, and we don't waffle. We are bold and we stand firm on the things that God says. You know, uh, verse 12 says this Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It's interesting how that follows directly after his command to exercise authority. He says, Command and teach. But then he says, You better be an example. Um, Isn't it frustrating when you have a leader who tells you to do things that they don't do? And, And this is true of parenting. It's true in marriage. It's true in church leadership. Often we compromise the influence and the authority that God has given us because we don't actually live out the things that God tells us to live out. And so that's an aggravating, frustrating, discouraging kind of thing. And and there are many times that we just think, man, people should just follow my leadership better. Why don't they follow my leadership? Well, often it's because our life doesn't match our message. And so Paul says, command and teach these things, but you better make sure you're doing them. You need to be an example in speech. How do you talk about people? What are things that you say? Do your words honor the Lord? In your conduct, how do you behave? What kinds of things do you do? Does your life undermine the authority that God has given you? In love, do you genuinely care about the well-being of others? In faith, that's do you trust God? Do you know the truth? And in purity, um, that's not being a polluted vessel. And there's all kinds of things that pollute. Sexual immorality, pollutes. That's the emphasis here, is to be a a sexually pure individual. But it includes not just that. We need to be an example in all of those areas. And when we're not, it undermines the authority that God intends us to use on his behalf. Here's the fifth thing. A good servant of Christ has, a, has proper ministry priorities. He understands proper ministry priorities and power. Look at verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that, which was, that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Timothy was commissioned. And there's two things we see here. You want to know what brings power in ministry? God's word. Read it, explain it, encourage people to obey it. That's, that's the, what makes a church successful and powerful. That's what makes ministry powerful. Use the gift that God has given you. It is the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit working through believers as they preach, as they teach, and as they encourage God's word. That's ministry. And there are so many people today that they just want to run around and say, what's the biggest church I can find? What are they doing? Let me make a list of these things, and let's make good flyers, and here's how we do promotion. Don't say these things. People won't like that. Say this stuff over here. People will like that. And they come up with all these ideas about how to do ministry when they neglect what actually brings power in ministry. And a good servant knows what counts. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being creative, There's nothing wrong with having great flyers. Uh, We want to have a great internet presence. We want our app to work well. Uh, There's there's all kinds of things that we want to do to make ministry function better. But you want to know something? Those are avenues to the power in ministry. Those are not the things that bring success in ministry. Here's the final one. Keep close watch on yourself, and on the teaching. It says this in verse 15. It says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on your teaching, and on yourself, and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You want to know what happens when people are distracted from those main things, from God's Word and the faithful exercising of spiritual gifts? Churches are full of people who don't know the Lord, who are not Christians. And so you have a big, huge organization. But it's not a church. In Revelation chapter 3, John's writing to churches, and he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You know, there are churches that you can go to, and the ministry feels powerful. I was just talking to somebody this week who, who they were in a Protestant church, and then they ended up going to a different church, and just like, man, when I walk in, I just feel so good. But they go to a church that actually does not teach the gospel. And so you can go into a church and it can have great ambiance and you can be drawn into worship and you can feel very spiritual and all of those things can be empty of true salvation. And so teaching a faithful message and living a faithful life is what brings people to a genuine knowledge of Christ. And that is what Paul calls leaders to. He had seen it all. He had been through the ins and outs of religion. He'd seen the Jews. He'd seen all kinds of Gentile religions. And when all was said and done, these this is the charge that he gives, Timothy. And that's the charge that, as a leadership, we're giving Darren. And by the way, this charge for Darren, this charge for our leaders, is actually also a charge for every single one of us, that these would be our priorities.